Thursday, July 29th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me, first time in a while, it's John Ratanti. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. We got more earnings. It's it's one of those weeks. Um, we're going to talk PayPal. We're going to talk iRobot. We're going to start with the social network. Facebook's second quarter revenue came in just north of $29 billion. It's interesting because Facebook's it's not like their ad inventory is getting dramatically larger, but they've demonstrated their ability to charge more for ads. And you got to like that kind of pricing power if you're a shareholder. That's exactly right. So their, their revenue grew 50% constant currency in the quarter, 6% of that top line growth, 6% came from growth in the number of ads or the number of impressions, but 47% uh, in, increase in the price per ad. So like you said, that's a, that's a lot of pricing power. And, you know, on some level, it's, it, it does show that businesses of all sizes, <clears throat> excuse me, are willing to pay Facebook more for better ad placement, higher ROI, higher return on their ad spend, and then better, more effective measurement of the effectiveness of those ads. So they're yeah, willing to pay Facebook more. I know Facebook gets a lot of attention for a lot of other things that have nothing to do with advertising. And I think it's easy to lose sight of the fact that they're really, really good at this. In the same way that Google is really good at search, Facebook is really good at the business of advertising. I think they're the best at the business of advertising. In my opinion, I think they're the best. So how big is the Oculus for them. And for those unfamiliar, this is their virtual reality goggles headset. Um, as someone who is watching a decent amount of the Summer Olympics, I'm seeing a lot of ads that Facebook is doing for the Oculus. And it seems like this is something they are very serious about from a business standpoint. It's not just, oh, this is a fun thing to play with it seems like the business aspirations around Oculus are pretty lofty, or do I have that wrong? No, I think you have that right, Chris. So if you look at, they break out their revenue by advertising and then other, most of the other uh, is Oculus. And I think that grew somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 35% this quarter, if memory serves, um, which is great. The Oculus 2, their second version of, of the virtual reality, reality headset has gotten rave reviews from, and I've, and I've read probably, you know, 10 or more, a dozen reviews and it's gotten rave reviews. More important than the growth that it's seeing in Oculus is that VR and AR is a major investment area for Zuckerberg and, and Facebook. Not only are they, are they investing in Oculus and the Quest, but they're, they're coming out with a, a smart glasses in partnership with Ray-Ban um, and Ray-Ban's parent company. But all of that, Chris, is um, a part of, of, of Mark Zuckerberg's vision for the next stage of Facebook. In a lot of ways, this was one of the most important uh, calls, I think, in Facebook uh, history because Mark Zuckerberg talked about how he wants to transition the company over over the next several years from being primarily a social media company into a metaverse company. And so he laid out 
in the, in the call and and in some in some interviews he's done recently with the verge for example but he laid out on the call what the metaverse is he defined it and and how facebook may play a role in building out this metaverse and and vr and oculus will play a role in that i'm i'm trying to wrap my head around this because yeah. um as someone who's had the chance to try um, virtual reality goggles and that sort of thing. It's it's pretty compelling, um, it, but it's pretty compelling from the standpoint of this is a fun thing to do. From a business standpoint, um, there are a lot of investors who get a little nervous when they hear about CEOs saying, we're shifting our business. If you're a longtime shareholder of Facebook, you're happy with how the business has been run. So is, is this a situation where you look at what Zuckerberg and his team are trying to, this pivot they're trying to do, is it at the expense of the, up until now, highly lucrative social network they have built? Or is this like, no, we're going to keep that golden goose producing those eggs, but meanwhile, we're going to invest a lot of money into Oculus. We're, we're not... We're not going to build the Oculus and the metaverse at the expense of the existing business. Totally. So um, two things there. One is Zuckerberg has trained his investor base. He's trained his shareholders from very early days and earnings calls um, to look at the long term. He has always laid out five, seven and 10 year plans. So that's one thing is is. Facebook investors, yes, the stock is selling off a bit today, but Facebook investors, I think, are accustomed to this sort of um, long-term shift. The other thing is, one of the key aspects of a metaverse is that there are going to be these, these economies in these virtual worlds. And so Facebook, I believe, if they're successful, will be able to transition a lot of their advertising business, a lot of what they're building in e-commerce and payments, over into the virtual worlds. I think Mark Zuckerberg, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a shift so much um, from an economics point of view. I, I think it'll be able to maintain good economics, but I think Zuckerberg thinks that the next internet platform is gonna be the metaverse. And Facebook is clearly a major internet player now. And so if he wants if he wants Facebook to be a major internet player in the future, then it has to do so in this next paradigm shift, which is the metaverse. Shares of PayPal are down 6% this morning, despite second quarter profits coming in higher than expected. Earlier in the week, PayPal was close to an all-time high. I, I talked uh, to Tim Byers yesterday about this with Starbucks, and it, it, it seems similar from the standpoint of just like with Starbucks, there was a lot to like in their quarter, um, but there were enough things that weren't amazing that the stock sold off a little bit, similar to PayPal. There's a lot to like here. Total payment volume up 40%, but it, it seems like with PayPal, there are enough short-term question marks that I get why you combine that with the stock close to an all-time high. I get why it's selling off a little bit today. Yeah, sometimes stocks sell off just because of what you said, just because they need to take a breather. Sometimes they're, you know, just at an all-time high. Um, could be a little of that. I think, I think though, that um, the investors are digesting what this drag from eBay, losing eBay uh, business is going to be. And, and 
and what I mean by that is is quantify, like quantifying it, like how much of a drag is it going to be going forward? I think I think PayPal suggested on the call that it's um, a little more of a drag than they expected, than management originally expected. So there's that eBay drag. Also, you know, the take rate is falling um, at PayPal. The the amount that basically um, they charge to use our service and one question investors may be asking is, is this from increased competition? Is it, are, are they having to lower prices? Because yes, PayPal is building this amazing super app. Um, it's got huge functionality across a lot of different use cases. I own PayPal, but so is Square. Square is building a super app. So is SoFi. SoFi is building a super app. And so we just don't know yet if, if some of the, um, so they, they guided a little light on revenue. We don't know if, the, if that guidance came in a little light because of eBay because or because they're seeing increased competition from the likes of Square and PayPal, or maybe a little bit of both. It's a great point about the competition because for all the success that they've had, um, you know, particularly with things like Venmo, um, it, it makes sense that, you know, Square is doing what they're doing, that others are, you know, they're not just going to cede the ground to PayPal like, well, that's it. I guess they won. <laughs> yeah, you know, I totally, uh, Chris. I think though that um, digital payments is such a massive uh, addressable market, the size of the market, and then it's growing so rapidly. I, I don't think we have to pick just one. Like this is one of those ones when I think a basket is a fine approach. Um, so I, I own PayPal and Square. Uh, as well as Visa and MasterCard. So, you know, you can have a basket, some, you know, that includes, you know, PayPal, Square, SoFi, you know, any, any of these players. I'm, I'm not worried about PayPal, though. It's one of the largest digital platform uh, companies in the world. It's riding these long-term trends towards uh, the digitization of cash and, and, and basically electronic commerce, e-commerce, and mobile commerce. Um, it's got huge brands in Venmo, Zoom, Braintree, and Padient, all of which help um, make financial transactions easier and more secure for both merchants and consumers. And I mentioned BERT both because this is a two-sided network. It's got over 400 million combined users when you count merchants and, 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 and users on the platform. And that network effect combined with the trusted brand drives really attractive growth. And so, you know, I, th I see this as a high teens grower. In some quarters, maybe they, they reach 20% plus growth um, for a fairly long period of time. You know, in intermediate term, five to seven years, I think this is a high teens grower. Um, and it's growing very profitably, Chris. An important point there, uh, adding that they're not just growing, they're growing profitably. Last thing, and then we'll move on. Is it safe to assume that three months from now, and I, 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 I realize this might be annoying uh, for some of the dozens of listeners, but every now and then, and this is one of those situations where when I really digest a company's earnings report, my main thought is I can't wait to get to the next one. I can't wait for three months from now because I, I, I hear everything you're saying and I sort of think to myself, okay, so in three months, I'm assuming we're going we're gonna to know more about the take rate and is yep. that a speed bump or is that something that they're able to, to um, have bounce back? And we're going to know more about the, the eBay drag that you mentioned, like, like how long and how impactful is it? Yeah, you know, I, I think we'll know a little bit more. And, 
in a quarter and, and, and I think we'll know a lot more in a year, um, even if the take rate trends down slowly over time, it's not the end of the world. They can make that up with volume. Um, like I said, you know, this is, um, this is a super app. It's, it, it's, it, it offers peer-to-peer -peer money transfer. It offers remittance across borders. It offers credit. It offers small loans to businesses. Crypto, buy, selling, and holding crypto. And now buy now, pay later, which grew something like 49 or 50% in the quarter. Um, and so it's quickly becoming, and by it, I mean, I mean the PayPal app, the super app, it's quickly becoming uh, a utility in our daily lives. And so I'm not, I'm not terribly worried, but yes, next quarter we'll know a little more. iRobot's second quarter revenue grew 31%. Demand is up for the Roomba and other cleaning robots, but uh, there is a semiconductor chip shortage that you may have heard something about. And that's, uh, not surprisingly, that is having an impact on iRobot's business. It's so funny going through this, not funny, but just enlightening, going through this earning season um, and discovering all of the companies that are being affected by the global semiconductor shortage. Um, and I cover semiconductors here at The Motley Fool. It's just, it's, it's, it is really eye-opening how important these tiny chips are to our daily lives. 30% um, 30, 30 growth is phenomenal. Some of that is, is, is pandemic-driven because during the pandemic, uh, pandemic, we were, the, the, the economy shut down. We were all forced to, or many of us were forced to work from home, learn from home, exercise from home, game from home. Um, and so we were spending more time at home. So people were buying vacuums, robotic vacuums. And it just, it just, it, you know, that 30% growth makes sense. You and I were chatting before we started recording uh, the, the five-year chart on iRobot <laughs> This is, this is a stock, you go back to the summer of 2016, the stock has a little bit more than doubled since then. Yep. I mean, you get a double over a five-year period, that's great. That's a, that is a market, you know, uh, historically, that's a market-beating return. But the roller coaster that investors have been on over the past five years is terrifying. I mean, depending on when you bought shares of iRobot, <laughs> you are either thrilled or horribly disappointed. iRobot is one of the companies that, um, such a great, a great point, Chris. It's one of the companies that um, faces really steep competition. And, and so even though it's this great innovative product that many of us probably use and love better than, you know, pushing a vacuum ourselves, but especially the heavy type of vacuums on carpet and stuff, um, it, it is facing competition from the likes of Dyson which is another brilliant engineering company from the likes of Shark, the Shark IQ. And there's others out there as well. Um, and over the last five years, the chart that you're looking at, I believe iRobot has tried to increase prices at least once, maybe twice. And those prices didn't stick. It had to actually roll them back. Um, and so we were talking about the pricing power we are seeing at Facebook. This is sort of the opposite. They, they have tried to increase price at least once that, I'm, that I remember reading about and maybe more than once, and they didn't stick. And so what you see is that gross margin line um, at, at iRobot, which is, is a rough indicator of pricing power, um, has fallen from 49 to 50% in 2016 and 2017 
42, um, 45%, 46%, and then most recently down to 42%. So the volatility that you see in the gross margin line, I think is leading to the volatility that you see in the stock price. It's going to be interesting to see if they can get that the last 12 month gross margin of 42%, if they can get that back up into the mid 40% range. Thank you for that reminder, because I had uh, forgotten about that incident where they tried to raise prices and it backfired on them. And it's, you know, among other things, it's a reminder that in general, when it comes to consumer technology, and I feel like we can put iRobot and the Roomba in, in the consumer technology space, in general, prices come down over time. You know, a, yeah. a, a very good flat screen TV costs you a lot less now than it did five and 10 years ago. And Apple really is the outlier in its ability to continue to keep the iPhone at a high price point. I mean, you go back 10, 12 years, uh, the first few years of the iPhone, the people who were bearish on Apple, part of their bearish argument was, well, look at the history of consumer technology prices. They can't possibly keep this up they're going to have to lower the price of the iPhone over time. And in fact, they did the exact opposite. It's, ex it's exactly right. And in order to maintain that pricing power, those um, average selling prices, uh, you have to continually innovate and add new functionality and new features, which Apple has been able to do largely um, with the iPhone. The thing we, we should mention um, about iRobot, because you said, you know, depending on when you got on that roller coaster, you either really enjoyed it or you felt sick to your stomach. Um, one, you know, one, fe one feature investors may like about this is the stock is not terribly expensive right now. I mean, it's, it's, it's trading at um, 80, I don't know, I don't know, 80 something dollars per share. It's 52 week high was almost $200 per share. Um, and on a like price to free cash flow basis, it's trading at like a multiple of 15, which is low, Chris. That is um, low. And, and the reason it's low is because it is such a volatile business, I think. The, the, predictability of the business is it's it's not predictable. And so people aren't going to pay a high multiple for it. But if you invert that price to free cash flow multiple, you get a free cash flow yield. And that's a yield of like 7%. A year, so the higher the yield, the better. A 7% yield that compares to the 10-year treasury note at 1.3%. Um, a 7% yield also means that free cash flow doesn't have to grow a whole lot to generate you know, mid-teens annualized return. Free cash flow only has to grow six, seven percent. So you, you add the yield plus the growth, seven percent yield, let's say six or seven percent growth, and you get to mid-teens expected return. Now it's not a guaranteed return, but it's a rough, it's a rough heuristic to calculate that. And so maybe, maybe it's a decent time to buy this one. I don't know the company well enough to to say any more than that, but it doesn't look terribly expensive here. John Rotanti, great talking to you. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Chris. Always love being on the show. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.